Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Lisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forevers on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forevers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's you, it's better than nothing. We came up with our new slogan slogan. for our podcast. Perhaps it's you. It's better than nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you so intrigued? We're also an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. Oh yeah, we're that too. We watch Unsolved Mysteries and then we babble about it. And people seem to like it. I guess. We can't explain it. (laughs) Yeah, that's another one of the mysteries. So I'm Liz. I'm Samantha. We're here in the great state of Minnesota to talk to you about some goddamn mysteries. Yep, this is season three, episode 20, and there's only like two or three episodes left in this. How does how time flies? In this season, so we got to get ready for our season finale, and Ooh. then we'll be starting season four. I can't believe it. I know, it's speeding by. How have we kept doing this for so long? I don't know. There, look, there's a lot of unsolved mysteries associated with this podcast. <laughs> That's, That's definitely one of one them. one of them. Do you have any updates whatsoever? No. I don't at all. Really. Do you have anything you want to just chat about or get off your chest? How excited are you for Game of Thrones? I see you're wearing a Winter is Coming sweatshirt. I have been catching up on my Game of Thrones podcasts. I yeah. listened to several which while is the your, season is which going. Which is your favorite? There is a podcast that I think is just called the Game of Thrones podcast. They're really good. <laughs> I also and to the point. So the Game of Thrones podcast is a bald move podcast. I highly recommend it. If you're into pop culture, I feel like they have a plethora of podcasts that okay. you would really enjoy. Also, they're super big Game of Thrones nerds, which I appreciate because there's this phenomenon in a lot of, you know, shows and books and stuff. But in Game of Thrones, there's just so much like it's almost scholarship around the show and the books and theorizing and then so many years and George R.R. Martin weaves these complex tales that you can really go crazy with theories and so I appreciate any podcasters that can like bring in that knowledge they do a really really good job I also like a cast of kings and storm of spoilers storm of spoilers obviously includes spoilers spoilers. (laughs) but while what I like about them is that again they're very knowledgeable about the like you know, book theories and stuff like that. But they do half their podcast is non-spoiler and then half is spoiler. So in seasons past, like there was one season where like the entire season got leaked online. So like half their spoiler part of their podcast was like talking about that. But they also talk about theories and 
production leaks and things like that. I don't listen to the spoilery part until the season is over, and then I kind of have fun going ah, back yeah, yeah, yeah. and listening to the second half of each episode. Um, but yeah, so obviously I'm extremely excited about Game of Thrones. Travis and I are doing a rewatch. We're rewatching not the entire s- show, but like some of our favorite episodes. Yeah. In preparation, I don't know what I'm gonna do when the, when, when the show is over. I, we're probably never getting more books out of George R. R. Martin, so. No, that doesn't. He doesn't seem to want to do that. I think this is like the ending we're gonna be stuck with, and I wasn't super thrilled with last season, so it's it's worrisome. But we'll see. Who is your favorite character? Do you have one? <clears throat> my favorite. Well, I named my dog dog Renly. Not that well, he's my favorite true. character, but I like Tyrion. He's a good character. He's better in the books. Um, a favorite. It's really hard to pick a favorite. That's, it's like I'm asking you to pick your favorite child right now, and you're like, that's. <laughs> That's not right, Liz. Yeah. In fact, that's wrong. You know, I also, I like Cersei in a way. I like the the villain women. I'm not a huge Game of Thrones fan like you are, but I have watched all of Game of Thrones. Um, Don't ask me a lot of questions because I have a lot of trouble with the family trees. (laughs) But I feel like I'm watching it for basically the same reason I'm watching Drag Race, which is outfits and insults. Oh, the outfits have gotten better each se- so season for Cersei, sure. Cersei, yeah. She brings both of those things. Yep. I also really like Littlefinger. Oh yeah, he's good. I realize that not everyone's into the accent and uh, I don't know. I I don't know. I just do. I'm not going to defend that. It's just a fact. <laughs> I like him because he's got a complex storyline right and so that makes him interesting and the similarly cersei trying to like tease out their motivations and things like that i never really know what he's gonna do but he's also very shady and bitchy and that's exactly what i'm looking for in a character (laughs) if anyone wants to talk game of thrones theories in our facebook group hit me up i'm here for it all day long samantha's always ready i have many a favorite theories especially going into this last season it's kind of fun this is why i listen to so many game of thrones podcasts especially now because now that the show has moved on from the books there's so much theorizing that can be done and it's really fun to like get with like-minded people who are like super nerds and like tease out these theories and sometimes they come true sometimes they don't some of them are like crackpot wild and it's just fun it's like this whole community and i feel like i'm gonna miss that a lot like hbo is coming out with the you know the spinoff shows and stuff but it's just really fun so it's gonna be a hole in my life i'll have to fill with something else maybe drugs i don't know i was gonna say probably drugs (laughs) or like drag racing like like street like oh street okay you know i'll keep that one on the list but it's not it's not high up there (laughs) or um Chicken? Chickens? I can show chickens. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Have you considered competitive chicken breeding and showing? You know, I hadn't until we watched the Chicken People documentary for Patreon. I'm or still getting... not really considering it, but <laughs> despite what Sherry would have us think, I think they're kind of dirty animals. Well, not if you bathe them all day. Well, every yeah, day. if I spend 12 hours every day bathing them, they're really clean. If you want to hear us talk more about chickens, you're going to want our to be signed up for our Patreon because that's the topic this month. Chicken you, people. You can give us $1 a month and you can listen to us talk about chicken people we also have like 14 other episodes so you get instant access to that whole catalog it's a better deal every month yeah uh next month actually there we go i I stumbled upon an update next month we decided what we're gonna do it's a flat earth 
documentary on netflix yeah i haven't watched it yet it's called under the dome i think no that's a stephen king novel (laughs) that's a a bad novel and show i don't know anyway there's a flat earther documentary that i watched but i can't remember the name of and i thought it was gonna be worse than it was it was extremely good and i'm gonna make liz watch it i'm excited about it yeah i think that's gonna be really fun also maybe i'll decide the earth is flat maybe you will. what's interesting about that is that my life would really change in no way like what would i do different <laughs> if the earth was flat nothing i don't know why devote time to that the, okay, the reason to devote time to that is because there's no one out there that only believes the earth is flat if sure. you believe the earth is flat you also believe the moon landing didn't happen you also believe vaccines aren't effective you know what i mean sure. like you also believe that fluoride is slowly poisoning you like well, it is. you believe that everything is a conspiracy the government is out to lie to us for reasons well, okay, that's unknown true. and that's what you devote your life to i don't i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe there's people out there that just believe the earth is flat and they, they believe in no other conspiracy probably not though but i don't think so Mac and I actually last night were talking about how some politicians are clearly so detached from real life that their just behavior and mannerisms do seem super strange. And the well, the one example was there's recently it was Mitt Romney's birthday and his staff brought <laughs> did you watch this? Yeah. His staff brings him his birth like this big beautiful birthday cake with birthday candles on it and he clearly doesn't know what he's supposed to do. It was made out of Twinkies. Because apparently he loves Twinkies. But he takes each candle out one by one (laughs) and blows them. Like, he's clearly confused by how to blow out birthday cake candles. (laughs) I saw some people online claiming that he was doing it so he wouldn't get like spittle all over his cake but but why does it look like that then okay yes there's that there's also the issue with like everyone else in history has blown out their candles like that and we still eat the cake yeah so you don't have to be like extra spitty yeah i think it's fine So, like, that, there's this story about when Ted Cruz first got married, his wife sent him to the grocery store, and he came home with a hundred cans of soup and nothing else. He was like, okay, we won't have to make dinner. Here's all this soup. And she was like, no, go back. That's not how this works. And thinking about stories like that, I can see why people think there's lizard people. I don't why lizards specifically but i do get that you're like that's not a human (laughs) a human doesn't say oh i need to go buy groceries for my new wife and my new home i'll just buy a hundred cans of soup that is definitely an alien (laughs) trying to be a human that's like somehow it's your 65th birthday and you don't know how to blow out the candles on a cake (laughs) even though haven't you done that 64 other times maybe he's always done it that way and he's just like, I don't know how this works. He's literally picking up 20 candles one by one and blowing them out. When he was running, I remember him see- seeing this clip of him like going with his family to a park. It was supposed to be like, you know, this humanizing thing. It's like him and his grandchildren like going to this park. And he was like, yeah, it was nice. It was like this wide green space. And I was like, it's called a park, Mitt. It's called a park. But it was like he didn't know that. <laughs> It was like, like he had never seen us in the city where we grow grass and children and can play. It is not like I have this problem on this podcast all the time where a word is like on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it. It's mm-hmm. not that. It's like he had never seen one before. Like he couldn't believe there was just free public open <laughs> land that you're allowed to just go to. He was like, yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> this green space. It's a park, Mitt. So 
Maybe he is a lizard he person. If you peeled back person. his face skin, there would just be a green lizard underneath there. Or some sort of alien. Yeah. That's like, that's not a human. Yeah. The Best Show used to have, which is a different podcast you should be listening to, but they used to have this joke that Mitt Romney recorded himself chewing and would listen to it. <laughs> and the idea just being like he's so incredibly weird that if you found that out it wouldn't actually be like that strange so i oh, okay. so i saw him like blowing out and i was like i kind of believe i kind of believe in those chew mixes now <laughs> i kind of believe he does record himself chewing and listen to it later if you told Lizard me that person and didn't say that it was a joke Lizard i would have believed it exactly so, your exactly. theory holds up oh okay Let's talk about Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, let's, let's season, talk season about three. It, this episode. It's episode 20. You have the first one. I like this one. This one was all right. So this is interesting. We're going to be talking about uh, of a, a me- an old-time medium? A diagnostician. Whoa. Isn't I, that what they called them in the show? I, I don't know. <laughs> did they? Sure. I'm pretty sure they did. Okay. This is... The story of Edgar Casey, but we we get to that story by starting with a more contemporary story. Mm-hmm. We're learning about 27 year old Casey Comra in 1986. She woke up one day and there was just like a spot in her vision that she couldn't see. It seemed like an aura. If you get migraines like I do and you get an aura, that's what it looked like in the show. Okay. Just they like just show this like floating grayish spot. Yeah. spot in her vision that wouldn't, didn't go away and didn't result in a migraine. Yeah. So she like wakes up one day, there's this like spot there and she's like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> and then like by the end of the week, it's like hasn't gone away and has gotten bigger. And she was she's like, like, she almost couldn't see out of that eye. Yeah. So she goes to the eye doctor. And I'm sure this is one of those things where you're like, okay, I'll go. They'll tell me it's not a big deal or I just have to do this. You know, let's go get it over with. Well, she goes and they tell her, you're going blind. Yeah. It was pretty bad news. Um, And it was because she had optic neuritis, which is a severe inflammation of the optic nerve and that she was apparently going to go blind. So there is no known cure for the disease, but they suggested steroids. And for some reason that's not specified, she didn't want to take steroids. Okay. All right. I mean, I kind of get that, but also if I was going to go blind... Yeah, I might take the steroids. I might take the steroids, but it's all right. It all works out. So she found a doctor familiar with the mysterious methods of a man named Edgar Casey, who had become famous in the 1920s for diagnosing illnesses despite having no medical training while he was in a trance. I think this is when Robert Stack called him a diagnostician. Which is someone who's not a doctor, but who diagnoses things. Which maybe is a made-up word, but it's what he was doing. The past is so incredible. Yeah. Okay. So, he made, in his lifetime, 9,000 diagnoses. Diagnoses? Diagnoses. Diagnoses? Diagnoses murder. Diagnoses. (laughs) Or readings. He called them readings. And uh, he died in 1945, but many practitioners still follow his teachings, Samantha. Yeah. So, some dismiss the cures as a lucky coincidence. Believe it or not, they're not, they're skeptical of medical advice that someone received while in a trance. They described him as sleeping. He could only diagnose things while he was asleep. I think that was his (laughs) his son that said that. Like, okay, that's not a doctor I'm going to, but... Uh, but for the those diagnosed with a disease that modern medicine could not cure, Edgar Cathy's methods continue to hold out hope. 
So we, now we're in like flashback mode. And Edgar Casey, we learned, learned of his mysterious ability when he was just 13 years old. He was not the greatest student, and he fell asleep on top of his spelling book. And what do you know? When his dad quizzed him, he knew everything. He knew the whole book, inside and out. This is what you Through always osmosis. wanted to do. Oh my do. God, please. <laughs> when you were in school. Like, could I just fall asleep on this textbook and absorb the yeah. information? <laughs> he uh, could do it, What allegedly. a better student I would have been if I could have just done that. Uh, and he even knew what page numbers his different words were on, which isn't helpful, but is bizarre. <laughs> So according to his son, Edgar Evans, it was the moment his father knew he was gifted. He says all he had to do was sleep on his books at night, and he moved along very rapidly. Whether, well, yes, by the way, of course, if you could just instantly memorize things, that would be very helpful. Whether it was spelling or math or history or whatever. And he became an exceptional student rather than an average student. Then we skip ahead to he's 23 and he suddenly loses his ability to talk. It wasn't clear why, but... Yeah, well, he just does. So, uh, for an entire year, physicians are unable to explain or cure his illness. As a last resort, his parents convinced him to see a hypnotist, which, mom, dad, how come you've never been like, there's nothing we can do for this child? To the hypnotist! (laughs) I'm a little bit sad now. Okay. Uh, and then, okay, this is also hilarious. His family physician attended and recorded the session in exact detail. Like, I'm calling out my doctor. Hey, doc, you know how I haven't been, well, I can't talk, but whatever, shush. <laughs> hey, doc, you know <laughs> how you're you sending have, an email, even though yeah. the email doesn't exist. Hey, I'm sending a raven, and the raven <laughs> has tied to its foot. You know how you haven't been able to cure me for the past year, and you've been very unhelpful? Well, because of that, I'm getting hypnotized. How would you like to come by? And record me being hypnotized. <laughs> I'm sure you have nothing better to do. You're only a busy doctor. Um, so then Casey went into a deep sleep. When he awoke, everyone was shocked because it was the first time he spoke in a year. He just sat up and said hello. Yeah. He said, yes, we have the condition. It's a constriction of the throat, constriction of blood flow, so we will collect it. And then later, the hypnotist told him to wake up. He sat up, he coughed up a little blood, and he could talk. I think that was probably his first reading, his son said. Thanks, son. So, then his... Man, passed. His doctor persuaded him to attempt in diagnosing other patients. Look, medicine was... (laughs) It was different back then. Made up quackery stuff. Yes, you seem good at this. How about you try diagnosing? You know, we have this person here that uh, I'm probably going to die. I don't know what's happening. How about you sleep on it? (laughs) Let us know if you come up with anything. He agreed, but his son said the end result left him disillusioned. The problem developed when, at the end of some reasons, people would start asking him questions about. What horse was going to win the race? And what was going to happen in the stock market? Results of the ball game. And when he found out what people were doing, he said, I'm giving it up. He did not want to use his powers for for gambling and such. 
No. Only for diagnosing rare, hard-to-treat illnesses. Well, and these people were, like, going to him pretending that they were sick. And then as soon as he was done, they were like, so, uh, one more question. So, about the horse in the sixth race. Yeah. Uh, who, who are you feeling on that? Are you feeling Smotty, Spotty McBride or... Spotty McBride. <laughs> Old Deviled Egg. Oh. <laughs> That's what horses are named, right? Old Deviled Egg. <laughs> Smotty McBride. That's what horses are named, pretty much. I suppose you would know better than me. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Look for the next Triple Crown winner. <laughs> Spotty McBride. <laughs> Old Deviled Egg is looking good, too. I would never bet on a horse called Old Deviled Egg. That does not sound like a winner. I would assume that would only happen because you already had... A, a horse named Deviled Egg. And for some reason, you got an older horse that kind of looked like him. And then that horse would be old Deviled Egg. <laughs> Friends of mine live on a farm. And so they have a bunch of farm cats that are like, you know, sort of their cats, but sort of not their cats. Yeah. And they had this cat very creatively named Yellow that went on to be very prolific. So then the other cats ended up being called things like Fat Yellow and like something else Yellow. But then Yellow was referred to as Yellow himself because there was so many variations. Yellow of, Prodigy? Yeah. Pro- so I could see one of those being like, oh, that's Old Yellow. That's <laughs> Young yellow. Right. New yellow. Fat yellow, skinny yellow. Yeah. Could they just not come with, up with more creative names? Or? There was just a lot of cats. There was just so many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. The, it wasn't. It was pig yellow. That's what the biggest one was called. Pig yellow. <laughs> so, imagine this is win place show and you're at the next horse race and it's Spotty McBride Old Deviled Egg and Pig Yellow. And pig Yellow. The biggest one. They're putting the they're putting the wreath of roses on Pig Yellow. Pig yellow. People are crying. <laughs> Alright, well, don't ask me to name your racehorse. I think that's what we've just learned. Uh, anyway, whoa, whoa. So Edgar Casey about the tangent tangent yet. Casey abandoned his psychic readings, married and moved to Alabama, where he worked as a photographer. By nineteen fourteen he had two sons, Edgar, who we've already heard from, and Lou. Hugh. When Hugh was eight years old, he was seriously injured in a darkroom explosion, and the local doctor was not very hopeful. He was, like, playing in the darkroom. Lighting a match for some reason? He dropped in a thing of chemicals, which obviously exploded, and caused an injury to his eyes. So, Edgar Casey, who has not attempted a reading in years, decides to try to save his own son. Can he do it? I appreciated the reenactment with the little boy whose head was literally just just surrounded in bandages except for his mouth. Like the invisible man. (laughs) Yeah, they were just like a mummy in bed. Help me, papa. (laughs) 
So Edgar did a reading and it called for putting like acid on his eyes, which the doctors were like, yeah, that's way too strong, but you know what? He's going to lose his eyes. <laughs> this, is, this is hopeless. So fine. Mutilate your son. And you know what? It worked. It worked. Dun, dun, dun. And it seemed like a miracle. Within six weeks, Hugh's sight was completely back to normal. Word of the boy's recovery spread, and soon Edgar Casey was famous. So he moved to Edgar Virginia Beach, Virginia in 1925, and he opened a center. And then for the next 20 years, received thousands of requests for readings. He was originally doing two a day, but he couldn't keep up with the demand. So he was doing up for like nine or ten a day, and that was too much for him, and he had a stroke. Oh, so, uh, because of he was on the brink of exhaustion. So, he died on January 3rd, 1945, leaving behind more than 120,000 pages of readings. These, I'm getting this, the Unsolved Mysteries wiki for this episode is not very helpful. So, this is from Unsolved.com. And it said that the readings continue to serve as a wellspring of hope for those in search of cures that may have eluded modern medicine. People like Kathy Kamara who we were talking about at the beginning. When her optic neurosis was diagnosed in 1986, she went to this chiropractor who had studied his readings for 30 years. And this is what he said. Casey was on a very specific, was very specific on what areas of the spine to adjust. The fact that Casey suggested this certain procedure for eye problems does not mean that he specifically diagnosed it as optic neurosis. He talks about vision problems, blindness. That's what I approach this as. And so he basically what he is theorizing is that the reason Kathy is having trouble with her sight is that a nerve is being pinched in her neck. So he does a chiropractic adjustment and within seven days, Kathy's eyesight was fully restored. And Kathy believed that the treatment was responsible for her her recovery. We hear from this skeptical professor who vehemently disagrees, and he thinks that it's the placebo effect, and then he explains to you what placebos are, in case somehow you didn't know that. And then Stack ends it by saying, How can the unique life of Edgar Cayce be explained? The medical world has refused to endorse his methods, yet at the same time is unwilling to dismiss them. And I was like, no, Stack, they're very willing to dismiss them. Yeah, that seemed... They're, like, full-out dismissing them. The, the medical professional they interviewed for the show fully dismissed it. I mean, I'm glad this woman um, got her sight fixed and that it turned out it was something that was, like, a pretty easy fix. That's good sure. for her. I, I found this case very interesting just because it's weird. And that's not really, like, something else we've had before. It reminds me a little bit of the woman who could do those psychic drawings. Oh, yeah, for sure. The thing that I... So, I have a lot of questions. First of all, well, my one thing I noticed about this is he... They say he did over 9,000 readings. But they only showed two that were, like, successful in the show. He supposedly cured a little boy's eczema, and then this woman had this skin disease that went into remission after he gave her the reading. And I'm like... Well, it's not a whole long thing about Edgar Cayce. I guess, but that was the, his most impressive cures? Yeah. I don't know. It was one of those things where I'm like, okay, if you're doing 9,000 readings, eventually one of them's going to be right. You know, it's like how Alex Jones predicted 9-11, because every day he's just predicting some <laughs> catastrophic event. And then, sure, so of course, sure. eventually there's going to be a catastrophic event, and then he can claim he predicted 9-11. It almost felt like that to me. It's like, well, if you're doing readings twice a day every day 
up to 9,000, of course, some of them are going to be accurate. I don't know if that means that you're a psychic healer or I don't know what, what he's yeah, some sort of health clairvoyant. I don't know what he would be it's categorized such a specific as. Skill. What's interesting about it is I feel like he must have believed it. Like, I, I don't know that he, like, is setting out to be a charlatan. No, I think that's probably true. So that's, like, an interesting level to it. Have you looked up his, like, foundation or whatever? The company that still exists? No, but I kind of want to go there. So, I, it's complicated because they don't show you a lot unless you pay them. But they have a very complex website that talks about all kinds of things you can get done. They do, it seems like they do meditation. They still do I think you can become a practitioner of his method um, for holistic health treatments of illnesses to dream interpretation and reincarnation. Yeah, he. I looked briefly at his Wikipedia entry, and it does talk about how some people consider him one of the like pioneers of sort of new age thinking. Sure. That he wrote about auras. That he wrote about like certain dietary things that people hadn't really thought about before. Um, yeah, he was interested in, like, dream analysis and stuff like that. Robert Stack also described him as an unpretentious man. We see, like, him fishing in Kentucky, and it's right. just a kind of interesting contrast. Yeah. I, w- I would like to learn more about it. I would be interested. What I worry about is people who turn to things like medical clairvoyance instead of seeking actual medical advice. Sure. Because sometimes, and I'm not saying that this is one of those organizations, but a a lot of things similar to this will sort of peddle cure-alls. Yeah. You know, it's like, here, take this, it'll cure your cancer. And then someone takes, drinks basically water for five years and then dies of a treatable cancer. Like, those have been cases that have happened. Oh, yeah. This kind of smelled like that, although I haven't looked into the foundation other than doing a cursory Google search. Um, I think that it kind of shows you how even today our medical system is so fucked that people are really desperate oh, yeah. for solutions. And even just looking at the unsolved, like this is the Unsolved Mysteries website about this case. People were writing things like, did Edgar Casey write anything about this? I'm in constant yep. pain. Like blah, 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 blah. Because they don't know who to turn to. And they're just, like, desperate for answers. So that does leave people very vulnerable to scams when they're not getting proper medical care and medical treatment. One of my favorite podcasts is Oh No, Ross and Carrie, which is a Max Fun podcast that I maybe have mentioned in the show before. But not that long ago, they did an episode or a series of episodes about people who drink urine. And one of the interesting... And I think illuminating things that they un- that they uncovered was that a lot of people who are turning to this are doing so because they can't afford sure traditional you know they can't afford to go to a doctor sure and so but they can afford this free ebook about drinking urine that claims that it's going to cure them of this debilitating affliction that they have so it's just sad because like in this case right when edgar was working there was just so much we didn't know and that's why people were desperate for someone to come up with something in their sleep right but at this point there's plenty we know that people just don't have access to yeah so in a way like for them things haven't actually improved the way that you would think because those if it's unavailable to you few are the only people getting the advantage right right yeah, if it's unavailable to you, it might as well not exist. Yeah. 
how far we have come and yet we're in the same fucking place but I'm really happy for the woman in this segment that yeah, had her cool. vision restored. Yeah. The thing of it is, is that they interviewed that that doctor that like was skeptical about, you know, sure the placebo effect. Right. And- but he never. What I was waiting for him to say was like explain why this chiropractic adjustment cured her vision. I think he was saying it was all in her head, and it didn't. But I don't. But see she what- could still see, and the I symptoms think- had never returned. I think he was saying that that there wasn't something physically wrong with her Mm. that was she didn't have a like physical problem that was affecting her eyesight that that was mental interesting but i don't buy that i don't buy that either because two different ophthalmologists diagnosed her with this eye condition which i guess she didn't have if the chiropractic adjustment fixed it but it also doesn't dismiss the fact that why couldn't it have been a pinched nerve like sure you're not proving to me that that's Right, Not and that's what I was cause. waiting for him to say was like, "Oh, you know, she could have been misdiagnosed with this issue," but he never did. No, he was basically just saying she's a nut. Yeah, he was just being very dismissive. He wasn't saying there's no way a chiropractic adjustment could help your eyesight. Right. So he was not really the most convincing skeptic. No, actually. Not exactly. All right, that's the case of Edgar Casey. If anybody knows like a book I can read about Edgar Casey or something, I'm kind of intrigued. I'm intrigued too. I liked that segment. Okay, let's move on. All right, this is an unexplained death that takes place in Hollywood, California. And we get Robert Stack on an overpass saying, Hollywood, California. This is a very Forensic Files type segment. The Dream Factory. A fantasy land fueled by the tantalizing fable that anyone can be famous overnight. He looks so out of place wearing a trench coat while standing (laughs) on this bridge over Hollywood Boulevard. It makes him look like a total creeper. (laughs) He looks like he's going to go flash people. Yeah. Like, usually he's walking in, like, a church or a courthouse or something, and there's a little bit of fog or or dry ice, and it you're like, oh, this fits. Like, you've set a mood. We're going to solve these mysteries. But in this case, I was like, you are the mystery. You're going to go out and commit crimes. <laughs> kind of seemed that way. All right. So, Crystal Lane Spencer was raised in a small northern California town. At 17, she dropped out of high school and took a job to help support her family. In the summer of 1982, she moved to Los Angeles to chase her Hollywood dream. But she soon realized that stardom was not so easy to come by. Crystal reluctantly took a job as an exotic dancer to pay her bills. She was a topless dancer at this place called The Wild Goose. She was making $400 a night in 80s money. Yeah. Reluctantly? I mean, that sounds like a really good gig. (laughs) It did. I was like, make that money. I realized that's not what she wanted to do, but... Yeah, she... That's a lot of money. I know. She was doing okay. So... Um, yeah, on a good night, she took home $400 in tips, but she never fully accepted the fact that she, this is Unsolved Mysteries quote, she never fully accepted the fact that she was basically a stripper. I mean, she was she a stripper. was a stripper, she was a stripper, but stripper. they were dancing around it but, quite a bit. Um, she didn't, I mean, wasn't she, her chosen profession. Right. So according to Crystal's friend, Patty Jo Milhouse, who might be on downers in this episode, I don't she talks She's so slow and it almost allegedly like she was about to fall asleep at any second. Maybe she has narcolepsy. Maybe, you know, that could uh, you know, Patty Joe. Who jo, are I don't, you to judge just because you're so awake? I don't know what you got going on, Patty Joe, but she said the fact bothered Crystal, quote, she would just start crying, like she felt degraded about herself of what she'd done. I wonder how much of that is the stigma. I think it's just yeah. 
the internalized misogyny like, and the stigma told, was of like, being hey, a stripper. I got a job as a topless dancer and I'm making $400 a night in the fucking 80s. If people were like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Would she have felt bad about it? Or would she have been like, you're right, it's a pretty sweet gig. I really don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. In May of 1987, friends invited Crystal to a barbecue, which looked like a delightful little backyard barbecue. Yeah, it was kind of like, invite me. God. She was eager to socialize with people who might help her acting career. It was there that she met, met Anton Klein. Quote, this is Anton saying, there was something very alluring and compelling about Crystal that would really catch your eye. She knew that she would become not only an actress, but she'd become a very famous actress, and it was only a matter of time. It seems like she was very extroverted. She was very, like, positive, she maybe. She seemed bubbly. Like, you know people yeah. are described as bubbly, which is a, a description word. I hate, but it really seemed to apply to her based on the reenactment. It's a word no one has ever used to describe me in <laughs> all of time, but it does seem apt for her. It does. So, Anton Klein was an aspiring screenwriter and PhD candidate. He was about a decade older than Crystal, and he and Crystal came from totally different backgrounds, but they soon fell in love. He seems very, like, serious, and I want to use the phrase stiff shirt. (laughs) That's true. That's a good way of describing him. He just seems, like, very buttoned up, and she's much more, like, lively and outgoing, and he's maybe kind of a nerd. Yeah, it would be a great romantic comedy if it didn't end in murder. (laughs) Well, maybe. We'll see. Okay, so Anton says that he introduced her to art galleries and museums and concerts. Quote, she loved classical music. She loved fine art. She wanted to know more about these other wonderful things of life that she had never been exposed to before. Oh, what a wonderful man. I know. Educating, taking this young stripper under his wing. He really is patting himself on the back while this. Yeah. So Anton had no idea that Crystal worked as a topless dancer. She walked a fine line discovering... What? Okay, so I'm reading off of Unsolved Mysteries (laughs) website, and I don't necessarily appreciate this. She walked a fine line discovering art and culture by day and working Hollywood's dark side by night? They said that in the episode. Is that what they said in the episode? Yeah. Okay, I seem to have blocked that out. They wanted to act like she's living a double life. Like, anyone that works in adult entertainment never goes to a museum you know what i mean it's like you can't be a you respectable can't believe woman that she went to a classical music concert but also gets paid in tips <laughs> i was like what it's she like, shows her boobs yeah in the bar. she has boobs <laughs> so i was like all right they're trying to make this a little steamy. And then they... Sh- okay. Whoa. The shots of the club are some of my favorite. Because you have never seen exotic dancers so fucking clothed. <laughs> like, you would think... I realize this is network television. You know, it's coming out. You're eating dinner with your grandparents watching this. They're not going to be topless. You would think you could put them in a bathing suit. Crystal's wearing a full-on shirt. Yeah. And shorts. And just, like, shimmying around. And then the guys in the audience are so apathetic you yeah. would think that they were just watching the most boring like commercial on tv yeah. yeah they're just blank just kind of like blinking like, up hey, at her i have a big belt on she's just like and slowly moving her shoulders and then yeah. you do get one shot of like her bare legs and then the shawl falls but th- yeah you're right it's there's also like a, a girl in like pink cowboy boots and like a pink hat but also she has like a belt on top of i was like what kind of striptease <laughs> is that for 
Yeah. <sighs> so this is a quote from Crystal's According to Unsolved friend. Mysteries, the bikini has not been invented. That's my point. Like, you <laughs> you can only wear full clothes. <laughs> and, yeah. Who knows what people wear at a beach, according to this show. So Patty Joe says that Crystal loved Anton very much, but she was very scared about him finding out that she was an exotic dancer. And Crystal said, well, I better quit dancing then before he finds out. Which was just sad. Yeah. So finally, four months after they met, Anton says that he found out about Crystal's, quote, other life. He said a neighbor saw her, her da- job dancing at the club by the airport where she worked. And he said, I saw that girl on stage. I said, no, you couldn't have. He said, that was her. Of course it was her. And I was shocked. So Patty Joe says that Anton was fine with it. But we never actually hear that from Anton, which was what... That is weird. I found weird. Like in the show, he's never like, you know, I was okay with it. We just or heard just it. like I we just heard her. Patty Joe slowly tell us that Crystal he was, was fine with it. Was okay with it. <laughs> so you would might think he'd be like, nah, maybe that's not what I wanted her to do, but I loved her and I would learn to accept it, or you know, like anything really. But he doesn't address it at all. He just talks about how great he is to like take her to some free gallery show. Right. What a gentleman. So I showed her a whole other world of paintings. So one night, Anton goes to Crystal's house. She's recovering from a cold. She's sniffly, still a little bit sick. I think sick. he brings her some food. Yeah, and she tells him that she has this job offer. It's kind of unclear, but she's considering going to Japan to become a hostess. Um, which seems like a, I mean, a, a logical extension of what she was already doing. Yeah, it's mostly just like being... Like, entertaining men while they're whining and dining. Yeah. Like, you're there, you're looking pretty, you compliment them, you chit-chat, stuff like that. It's like a professional ego booster. Yeah. So she was considering going to Japan to become Which is apparently, a hostess. It's apparently great money. So he goes over there, and they talk for a little while, and then he says he will be in touch, and then he left. Three days later, Anton tried to reach Crystal by phone, but he kept getting a busy signal. The operator told him the receiver was off the hook. Anton said he just assumed that Crystal had left for Japan without saying goodbye. Apparently, Crystal was pretty messy in general and often, like talked on the phone with people and then forgot to hang up the receiver and then he went to the wild goose to see if she was there and the doorman told her that she had left for japan so that's also why he thought that she had left without saying goodbye um a lot of people are skeptical because it was like i don't know six days or something from when he last saw her to when her body was found and he never, he was trying, claims that he was trying to get a hold of her, but he never like went to her apartment, which a lot of people find suspicious, but who knows? I mean, he, if he's not going to be able to get in, what difference does that make? Right. Also, I'm kind of wondering if the bouncer is just like, you're some creep. Possibly. She's not here. Just go away. You well, know what I mean? If, if she told the bouncer that she was planning on going to Japan, then she just never shows up again. Like, of course, that's what he's going to say. Yeah. So, also, he doesn't really want to like stand around talking to patrons about where their dancers are when they're not there right like (laughs) it's kind of none of their business so i watched the episode twice because there was a lot in the episode that i was left confused about so then i listened to the trail went cold podcast did an episode about this and so this is what happened as well 
in that week where after Anton left her to when her body was found, she called her sister. I think it was the day before um, she is thought to have died. She okay. called her sister and told her mom or told her sister that she wanted her mom's phone number. But her mom had said to her sister to not give that phone number out unless it's an emergency. Crystal tried to tell her sister that it was an emergency and that she was so sick she couldn't make it to the phone. But her sister thought she was just being dramatic and refused to give her her mom's phone number. And then her sister goes on to say that, you know, apparently Crystal was often dramatic and that's why she was like, she dismissed it. And then the next day is when they think that she probably died. Which, oh, I feel bad for her sister in retrospect. Like, you have to feel pretty guilty guilty about that. Um, On Friday, the 13th of May, 1988, police discovered Crystal's decomposing body in her apartment. She appeared to have been dead for almost a week. Anton Klein was questioned. He says they at first just said that she was found dead at her apartment and that they wanted to know when I'd last seen her. And I said I last saw her on Wednesday. They wanted to know how she was, and I said that she just had a cold, but that was it. They think that she died of natural causes. So an autopsy revealed no trace of drugs or alcohol in Crystal's system. That's not actually true. She had a small amount of alcohol and marijuana in her system, which I don't know why Unsolved Mysteries didn't want to say that. It wasn't enough to overdose, or like it wasn't enough to get alcohol poisoning or anything like that. Oh. Um, well, our, our opinions towards marijuana have changed a lot in the decades maybe they were trying to i don't know be respectful yeah i guess um there was no obvious sign of foul play or suicide the coroner ruled that her death was the result of an undetermined cause um deputy district attorney robert l cohen says the body of miss spencer was in such an advanced state of decomposition they were not able to ascribe the cause of death so they have no finding anton could not believe that crystal had died of natural causes he said when i last saw her she was a young woman with a cold i was suspicious because of the way i was told the body was found in an obscure corner of her apartment nude from the waist down and i learned that neighbors had heard terrible screams coming from her apartment that someone had described as the sound of torture so yeah on may 7th three days after crystal had been homesick two of her neighbors susan aiken taylor and jet taylor were susan is gorgeous susan went on to win miss universe no miss america really yes but there's a lot of controversy around susan i learned this from the trail went cold podcast uh her grandfather was a noted racist and murderer (laughs) oh yeah didn't see that i was just like wow what a babe and you're like yeah and that babe's father was a nazi yeah susan is the granddaughter of bernard l aiken yeah a conspirator in the murders of cheney goodman and oh james cheney and Andrew Goodman, and Michael Mikey Schwerner. They were murdered in an event that was called the Freedom Summer Murders, also known as the Mississippi Civil Rights Workers Murders, and the Mississippi Burning Murders. They were three activists who were abducted and murdered in Neshoba County, Mississippi in June 1964. That was her grandfather? That was her grandfather, and she... Holy shit! She went on to denounce this, but she also openly opposed mixed marriages. Oh my god, what? <laughs> the New York press quoted, quoted her as saying, quote, I feel at this time intermixing could lead to more problems. Ew. So, <laughs> yes, Unsolved Mysteries interviewed uh, Miss USA at one point, but she seemed kind of gross. I don't know if that was wow. her husband or whatever, but... I- 
didn't see that coming. The other thing is that they said that they quite literally thought that someone was being tortured. She described the sound as being like someone was being burned over and over like again. Like with a cigarette, yeah. Yeah, but they decided that they weren't going to get involved and call the police because they thought it was just a domestic disturbance. Okay, I was wondering if they thought when they first heard it that people were having sex. So this And then is- later they were like, oh, that was probably her getting murdered. But... At the time, they were just hearing screams and whatever, and they were like, oh, someone's having fun next door, haha. But you're saying no. They well, definitely okay, knew. Okay, this is the information I got from Robin Warder's podcast, The Trail Went Cold. I don't know where he got this information because I couldn't find a lot when I was Googling it, but he's always very detailed. And his, yeah, yeah. So he, it's a much more professional podcast. Much more professional than this. He said that they did initially think that it was some BDSM sure. sex going on, but then it escalated. And what they told authorities for why they didn't call the police was because they were told in California, you just don't get involved in domestic disputes. Ew. So they did. And then also they told the landlord the next day that they should go check it out and make sure that they were okay in that apartment. But the landlord also didn't want to get involved, so they didn't do anything. And then when (sighs) the body was found, they approached the police and told them about the night they heard the screams. So they definitely thought something was going on. At first, they were like, well, maybe it was just, you know, know, some kinky sex going on. And then, yeah, it's because they literally thought it sounded like someone being tortured. Another neighbor, who I don't know if they're named, thought that they heard the sounds of someone being violently ill and gagging. So it's quite possible that this was this so cr- depressing. Crystal had a serious medical thing going on, and who knows if they, if they would have called nine one one, maybe she could have been saved, or maybe she was too far gone. But it sounded like at the very least she was in agony. Ra- uh, it- See, okay, but if I if I heard someone being tortured, yes, I would obviously call the police. If I heard someone being violently sick, no, no. So. Right, I understand why the other neighbors didn't call the police. Yeah. But the fact that Susan and well, she just seems fuck? like one of the worst people on earth. So I thought that yeah, someone was being burned with a cigarette over and oh over. Oh my god, poor Crystal. I know. So her body was discovered a week after her neighbors heard the screams. They finally told the story to the police. Jet Taylor said the police officer seemed disinterested. Crystal's family requested to view the body several times, but the coroner's office continually refused, claiming the body was in no condition to be seen. I think that was probably true. Anton was denied access to the police records. However, he's in not family. September of 1988, four months after Crystal's death, he was able to obtain the autopsy report. Anton is convinced that there was some body snatching going on because... The coroner or the medical examiner, I'm not sure which one it was, listed the wrong, an incorrect height and weight by like a lot. It was like 50 pounds off or something yeah. like that. And they said that they scanned her body for metal, but they didn't note that she had pins in her ankle from an injury she received as a child. Right. I think the medical examiner may have just been shitty at their job yeah you know i think i think errors is a much like more likely scenario than I don't, somehow someone else's body is in her apartment and she's gone or right, that makes their bodies got even if their bodies somehow got switched at the morgue she's still dead yeah 
I don't know. So Anton suspected that Crystal's death may have been related to a former highway patrol officer named Horace McKenna. Rumors circulated that McKenna secretly owned several topless bars, including the one where Crystal worked. So McKenna was a former felon, was a felon at one point, and there's a law prohibiting felons from owning topless bars in California, or at least there was at the time. So he was like a secret owner in a bunch of these. Apparently he was very eccentric and had like this sprawling mansion where he had like tigers and shit. And some of Crystal's co-workers claim that she would go to parties that he had there. And it's alleged that he would entertain other police officers. I'll go. Using women who worked in his topless bars as entertainment for these parties. Sure. So it's quite possible that... Do you think he had peacocks? Probably. Do you think he would greet his guests in, like, a velvet smoking jacket? <laughs> Maybe. Hmm. So he... <laughs> he seemed like... He, I mean, by all accounts, he wasn't, like, a good dude. It seems like he was involved in some shady shit, but not... Murder. There's no credible evidence that he murdered anyone. And also, he was murdered himself, like, ten months after Crystal died. Yeah, he was uh, killed in an unrelated incident in 1989. So... That's wild. What later came out, I also... Was it it the Tigers? I appreciate... Maybe it was the Tigers. No, actually, it wasn't. Um, what I will say is that I appreciate Robin Warder's work, because I'm poaching off of almost all of it. He, uh... He was killed by, like, a contract... It was, like, a contract killing by his business partner because he wanted to, like, take over the businesses or something. It was completely unrelated to Crystal's death. There was... There's a suspicion that she was an FBI... This is the weirdest part. The FBI had a whole file on Crystal before she died. And... Is it because they're investigating this dude? The file was released, I think, to Anton, but 21 pages of it was withheld. And so a lot of people are like, why would the FBI have a over 21 page file on this employee in this guy's bar? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so a lot of people speculate that she was informing on him. Right. And then that's why Makes she sense. was maybe mur- maybe she was poisoned or strangled. There's this guy like, doesn't seem like a poisoner. A guy that owns tigers yeah. and topless clubs. Right. He's poisoning people. So, I don't know. It's a, it is a mysterious death. I don't know. You really brought a lot to this that was not in the Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, good, because I feel like I did a shitty job. Because this recap that I found on the internet, I should have just taken my own notes, but I thought, it, I thought the Unsolved Mysteries website was going to be I realized. Yes. Also, how many leopard print rugs do you think was in that mansion? Oh, at least five, maybe. I'm so jealous. Probably at least five. Do you think he had one of those tubs that looks like a big clamshell? Maybe he maybe that was his bed with a big clamshell. So he had style. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. I like that I'm fixated on this like low life's mansion. <laughs> that was like I really want to know what his like decorating style was. Was it like Scarface? We can just imagine that it was. Mm, interesting. So I do highly recommend you listen to the Trail Went Cold episode on this one because yeah. there's a lot more details that I didn't get to. It was more interesting case than I anticipated based on watching Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries was, did an okay job, but it left me with a lot of questions. Because I what think... I was reading on Unsolved Wiki and like on in, Googling it and reading the Reddit threads, like a lot of that information wasn't in the show. So I was getting confused. And so finally, I just was like, I'm going to listen to this podcast about it and get it straight. 
unsolved mysteries and trying to create family-friendly fare about murders makes some interesting choices about what information they include versus exclude and i don't always understand their logic and i think though they wanted the 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 steaminess of crystal being a topless dancer they also wanted to make sure we felt bad for her so i feel like we didn't get a full view of everything that was going on true quite true even though we're not garbage people and we would have felt bad for her anyway Apparently, Anton has, like, an IMDb page for some, like, obscure movie he was sort of involved in because his PhD thesis was used as, like, the basis of a screenplay. So, if if you're interested in watching his movie, I don't remember what it's called, but it's on YouTube. So. I'm really not interested. Nah, me neither. What I want to do is go to this mansion. Well, maybe. I'm sure someone owns it. (sighs) They've probably redecorated it from now it just seems to me that I would love the mansion decorated by an 80s felon who owned a bunch of topless clubs. Like, that's... Seems that is your aesthetic. So stylish. Right? It's gotta be. Like, Biff's place and Back to the Future 2. <laughs> if anybody knows what I'm talking about. That top floor of that thing. Anyway... Let's move on to mystery number three. That was very interesting. Thank you, Samantha. Yeah, of course. I'm going to drink some toasted coconut polar for a second. Catch my breath. <laughs> Your mystery is so long. This next one is bafflingly long. I like this one, though. Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you like this it. This is a wanted. This is the case of Dennis Depew. He was wanted for, guess what it was? Murder. Also, how much did you love this photo of him that they kept showing? It was great. Where he looks like a goddamn zombie. <laughs> he could not look, like, does he have hepatitis and scurvy? <laughs> I don't understand. Was he part has, of his face paralyzed? Like, I, yeah, I'll feel bad if there's actually something wrong he with He murdered that. someone. Don't feel that bad. He I, literally looks like a zombie. Hit the... the bags under his eyes could not be deeper and his skin looks all jaundiced and he just he's standing here by his wife who looks like you know totally normal and then he's there like hey you know hello darling you know in the first men in black movie where the little alien jumps in that corpse and animates it this is what that guy's face looks like yes this is a full-on animated corpse of a human okay so, also, they show at one point they showed his face for way too long and slowly zoomed in on it. Yeah, what was that about? It made me want to look away. So this segment opens with a couple going for a van ride, which they apparently every Sunday would take like a nice leisurely drive around the country. Um, okay, so this is Ray and Marie Thornton are going through their Sunday drive. This is near Coldwater, Michigan. They're on Snow Perry Road. So they would play this like license plate game as they're driving around while they would like try to make jokes and phrases out of people's license plates and so this van is driving really quickly and pulls around them and she goes like geez he's in a hurry because the license plate is the letter g and the letter z and then numbers right so it's like the most wholesome americana e thing so they're, they're whatever this guy's driving a little bit recklessly they're not paying that much attention he speeds away but they do remember this part of the license plate at that point they're passing an abandoned schoolhouse and mary notices that there's a guy standing there with a gigantic bloody sheet and also sees the van again like parked between the schoolhouse and like a 
tank or something and she's like okay like i'm pretty sure i just saw that guy with a gigantic bloody sheet the reenactment of them seeing him walking through the woods with this bloody sheet yeah that okay if you are to this day still scared of unsolved mysteries i understand why if you saw that as a child you would never be able to drive through the country again okay what's interesting is i assume you've never seen the movie jeepers creepers you know i feel like i have but it's, it's just been a million movie years with justin long in it okay no i don't think i have and it's about like a kind of scare- i know of the movie scarecrow guy I think so never the seen opening it. of jeepers creepers is probably based on this oh yikes this is like a, th- a theory that's out there that if you can if you look at the f- the opening sequence of deepers creepers and the this segment of unsolved mysteries where they spot this is very similar oh so justin long and whoever the female character is they're driving they're playing the license plate plan a van comes around them they make a joke they see something by an abandoned school like this that's very eerie oh fuck i didn't know this yeah. i want to see the youtube videos that put them side by side it exists i looked at it it is very similar <laughs> Wow. Because this would be such a terrifying experience if you're just like out about your day, blah, blah, blah. And then you see this. Oh, yikes. So they, you know, get back on the, they're, they're on the road. They see this. They're wondering like what they should do. At this point, the guy gets back in the van. He like goes around them again. They pull off and like turn and are coming back and they see him changing the license plates because they're trying to, you know, write. They know it starts GZ. Right. They're trying to write down the rest of it. So they're following the van. And they get when they get up to him, he's over by the side of the road changing the license plates. <laughs> and the, the passenger door is open and completely covered in blood. Oh, so fucking scary. So I can, I can, you know, props. I was going to say props to the person who saw this and was like, whoa, this would be a great opening to a horror movie, even if it's something as stupid as Jeepers Creepers. But Jeepers Creepers was also directed by a known convicted child molester. <laughs> yeah. Not kidding. So, no. No props to anyone that's vile. No one gets props except this couple. <laughs> yeah, this couple, because, okay, they see the guy changing the license plates. They see this bloody covered door. This is pre-cell phone time, right? They're yeah. out in the middle of the fucking country yeah, in the middle of nowhere. you lunatic is going to chase you down. They go back to the schoolyard to find that bloody sheet before he can get rid of it. They're heroes. So she's like, we were careful where we would step. You know, this would be me and Samantha, I want to say. This would be us all the way. They're like sneaking into the schoolyard. They're trying not to mess up any footprints. We're getting out our Amazon forensic kits. Like, So they find this bloody sheet has been like mostly stuffed into this animal hole that was on the ground. And so they're like, okay, like this evidence is here. Like, I don't think they touch it even. They just like confirm. In the reenactment, he pokes it with the stick, <laughs> but like, all right, whatever. There. And so then they go home and call the police and can give them all of this information well i mean what a fucking sunday to just have this randomly <laughs> where you're like mm, that door is completely covered in blood this fucking this guy, guy murdered someone is changing his license plate by the side of the road right now who was that that was dennis depew an animated corpse an an- the ugliest man i have <laughs> ever seen uh what happened was that he was going through a divorce with his from his wife Marilyn. Um, Dennis was a property assessor, and Ma- Marilyn was a high school guidance counselor. The two had been married for several years. They had had three three children, um, you know. But what the marriage didn't work out with this this guy? Hard to believe. <laughs> 
Hard to believe. So Marilyn leaves him. He is not happy about it. And he regularly accused Marilyn of turning the children against him. Um, it, so this was in 1989. After 18 years of marriage, Marilyn files for divorce. So um, she told her attorney that Dennis was trying to ruin her life and would not let her make decisions on her own, blah, blah, blah. Basically, she wanted a divorce, and he didn't, but he was always acting like she was making it worse and dragging it out, but he's the one that didn't want the divorce, so it's just very contentious. And he's granted bi-weekly visitation rights, but the children were often reluctant to see him. Look, this guy's a fucking murderer. I'm guessing he was not a great husband and not a great dad. Right. So he is, in the terms of the divorce, is granted access to the guest house for some reason, which he is using as an office. But he also just used that as a way to, like, always be around and, like, break back into the main house. And one of her friends says that even after she changed the locks and got new keys and everything, she came home once and he was just, like, on the couch. Basically just to, like, show her he could. You know, he's just, like, exerting power over her and being a creep. So on Easter Sunday, April 15th, 1990, Dennis arrives to pick up two of his children. His One of his daughters, Julie, had already refused to go with him. So he goes and he's talking to his son, Scott, and Scott's like, yeah, can we go in a little bit? He, he doesn't want to go, right? Right. He's enjoying whatever he's doing and he doesn't want to leave with his dad. So they get into a fight where Marilyn is trying to tell him, like, if he doesn't want to go, like, maybe he doesn't have to. And he becomes so angry that he starts screaming at her and grabs her and pushes her down the stairs in front of their children. This reenactment is hard to watch, by the way. Yeah. I feel so bad for the kids. Yeah, because they're witnessing their dad kill their mom. Yeah. So he pushes her down the stairs. The children are, like, screaming for him to stop. One of them runs over to the neighbor's house so she can call the sheriff. He, like, picks her up from the bottom of the stairs. She's clearly severely injured. And he says, oh, I'm taking her to the hospital. But she's, like, not communicative at this point. She's probably hit her head or she has severe injuries, right? So she's, like, not making eye contact with her children. And it's not clear that, like, they, like, know that she's not consenting to that i think like they totally know something is wrong here right like he's just dragging her away and going like uh i'm going to the hospital and her children are like yeah which what was his long-term plan there i mean none of this is thought out i mean clearly so he um actually shot her in the back of the head and because of the information from the two people driving down the road um police were able to like put together you know, the the sequence of events from today. And this segment, at this time, Dennis was wanted, which is terrifying. This corpse man <laughs> is walking among you? Right. Like, they show the forensic team out getting the little track, the tire mark thing from the schoolyard. <laughs> and, that you know, there's, like, the bloody sheet. And um, I forget... Oh, okay, yeah. Her highway workers discovered her body near a deserted road. She had been shot once in the back of the head. And so he goes on the run. And over the, like, next few days, he sends his friends bizarre rambling letters that are about, like, how Marilyn had it coming and he didn't have any choice and she never should have divorced him. And... (sighs) Just trying to, like, pass the blame along for some reason, even though he pushed his wife down the stairs and then shot her in the back of the head. Well, it's clearly her fault. Yeah, so this aired March 20th, 1991. Okay, so then we get this update that... 
The night that this broadcasts, a woman who they don't name but call Mary gets home. It's 8.30 at night. Unsolved Mysteries is on in her house. Her boyfriend runs up to her and is like, yeah, so my mom is sick <laughs> and I got to go like he's right got now. The, he's got the, the shifty eyes. He's yeah. like yeah. looking at yeah. the TV, looking at her. She's uh, making these bologna sandwiches. The, the crappiest <laughs> looking sandwich. He's like, can you make me like a lot of sandwiches for the long ride? This woman is this ugh, women. Women, you need to <laughs> stop being so accommodating she knows he's fucking lying she knows he is she is never going to see him again she doesn't know what's yeah, going she's on she's still slapping together she these shitty sandwiches look she's probably scared of him honestly uh, th- that could be true he, i'm sure he seemed very manic so she's like dude you want your sandwiches i'll make your fucking sandwiches get the hell out of here so she goes she makes the worst sandwiches you ever saw in your life he's like frantic according to the reenactment like frantically just throwing in like random socks and whatever into a duffel bag i appreciate that in the reenactment they have the unsolved mystery segment playing on this tube tv and he's just like throwing shit over his shoulders <laughs> because apparently he was keeping her in the kitchen so that he could watch the segment about him without her <laughs> seeing it because it's her house right oh my god i mean i guess you're on tv you're famous I guess, maybe he just wants to know what they know i suppose that's yeah. probably true so he pop, takes his shitty sandwiches and his duffel bag and gets in the van and she's like i knew i was never gonna see him again and you know what mary you're better off yep so she I think not even she. I think her friend <laughs> calls in and gives him the license plate number for Dennis's van. Which is, maybe Mary didn't like that, but that's a good friend. Uh, this led to a high-speed chase where he was he was led into Mississippi. He broke through two police barricades. And eventually, they shot out his back tires and caused the vehicle to come to a stop. And at that point, uh, Dennis shot himself suicide it's too bad that he wasn't you know they weren't able to bring him to justice but maybe he'll get justice from satan in the next life <laughs> yeah i mean i can't say that i'm sad he's dead it, he, not really it's very guilty of this crime he sent tons of people letters about it he was seen pushing his wife down the stairs by his own children like yeah he's could not be more guilty so i guess he just didn't want to face what he had done and yeah that's well, that's the dramatic end to that so this was a, like because of the broadcast he got caught except that he's dead right but it wasn't it was a it was a wild story yeah and a weird jeepers creepers tie-in i'm gonna go watch those youtube videos yeah it's interesting huh so let's rate this all right let's sum it all up reenactments Hmm. I feel like they're pretty good. They were good. Yeah, I thought our Jeepers Creepers reenactment was very scary. That was actually, I can see how that would inspire a horror movie. That was scary. The old-timey reenactments were pretty Enjoyable. good. Enjoyable. Yes, I liked them. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Fashion? Mm, pretty the good. The 80s, like, uh, m- aspiring movie star fashion yes, all was the, pretty like, good. All the, like, topless club fashion, though very clothed for that establishment. It was good. was amazing. I feel like also the children in my last mo- mystery were all wearing different brightly colored 
sweaters with geometric designs on them and uh-huh. i loved all of them oh yeah we had some some tights and tall white socks and well, scrunchies what was, my, what was my mustache for this one i didn't notice any goddamn mustaches in this episode oh, okay so this was um one of dennis's co-workers named jan and he had a mustache it was it was brunette and it looked like a it looked exactly like this and i called it the semicircle. okay it really is just like a half circle of solid mustache. He also had Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. Maybe that'll solidify the look. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he had he had a look and he went for it. I'm a thumbs up for fashion. Yeah, why not? Uh, did we say mysteriousness? I don't think we did. It's not particularly mysterious. No, I'm not sure exactly what happened to Crystal. Do you think Crystal died of natural causes, or do you think she was murdered? You know, it's really hard to say because. My gut tells me that it was natural causes. But huh. I'm like, what would take down a young, otherwise healthy woman in that way? Where you're, like, in agony. Yeah. Because, I mean, we'll never know because her body was cremated. And they didn't perform, other than a preliminary, like, cursory toxicology, they didn't do any, like, advanced testing that would reveal if she had Ugh. any other disappointing. Like, substances in her body or if she was suffering from any other... You know, they didn't look into it further, so we'll never know if she had some sort of yeah gastrointestinal issue or something. Or maybe some she had a perforated of- bowel. You know what I mean? Like, those things happen. Right. Like, you can, like, your intestine can get a hole in it or something from something you ate. You know, like, those yeah. things can happen and probably it would take a little while for you to pass and it would probably would be very painful so that could explain the screaming i and- don't think anton a lot of people think anton is suspicious i think partially that's because of his mannerisms like he comes off kind of I pretentious just, i just think anton's a nerd i think so too and the other thing is that i don't think that's suspicious the police were very quick to dismiss this case as natural causes and they cremated the body if he had murdered her, why was he going around screaming about how this was a cover-up and her body had been swished and someone murdered her? And he would have been like, oh, it's a horrible she tragedy. She was kidnapped by the yeah. Japanese mob. Like, he was out there demanding the FBI hand over documents. Like, I don't think he would have done that if he had murdered no, her. actually, no. I really don't think so. So, I think all of the theory, the people on Reddit who I think, think he's, he's just, suspicious. I just think he's a tiny bit weird. I think they're which, just reacting to that. Which is not make you a murderer no. and i it seems like he really loved her yeah it did because he's he could have i don't know he could have not cared right right he could have just moved on i don't think they life. were together that long like yeah he, he could have easily moved on but he made it this crusade to figure out what happened to her so i don't think he murdered her no and then if the only suspicious thing that i find is the documents that the fbi had on her like maybe she was informing on that guy and he did have her killed i don't know but yeah but then how it also seems like the simplest explanation is that she had some horrible illness and then it was just unfortunate that no one cared to look into it more yeah i would agree so it's it's i mean in that way it's kind of mysterious yeah it's kind of a mysterious episode i'm like a, a hesitant thumbs up sure I would, I would go along with that. How do you feel about Robert Stack? I think he looked like a total creeper by the Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> Robert Stack had a little bit of a flasher aesthetic going yeah, on. Yeah, the trench has never looked worse. So I'm going <laughs> to give it a thumbs down. Yeah, I he think made I'm it with you. Se- it, was, it was just seemed seedy. I think I'm with you on that one. Mm, usually it's just like, you're like, I'm going to the store to buy a trench coat right now. I'm sold on the idea. And this time I was like, oof. It's not raining. Why yeah. are you wearing that? <laughs> Put it away, Stack. Where's your jean jacket? 
Yeah, or your windbreaker ensemble. Where's your all khaki outfit for the <laughs> safari that is Hollywood Boulevard? I also loved that Crystal's ashes were sprinkled on under the Hollywood sign. Yeah, that was really sweet. That's just so Lana Del Rey. I loved it. I just, uh, that's glamour. Yes. I love that. So, all right, Pete, Crystal. How do you rate this episode? I think I liked it more than you did. That's probably true. I think I'm like at a three. I would say three and a half. Okay. Approaching four. Yeah, it was decent. I liked it. I think, I mean, you know, I love four mysteries and this is only three, but I think these actually are pretty solid. The last one was more satisfying than I think I gave it credit for. Um, you were probably just so disgusted by his zombie face that... <laughs> well, that'll haunt me for the rest we of my days. We did get a lot of details on this case that I'm not entirely sure... so long. ...sure why, but, um, I, I'm, I'm glad he... He didn't exactly get caught, but he pretty much got caught, and I'm glad. At least he didn't spend 20 years on the run, you know, yes. like, hobnobbing around Europe like some of these assholes. Yeah, it was very discouraging. So... I mean, at least that didn't happen. I'm glad his children don't and wife don't have to worry about him, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I, I would recommend watching this one. What else would you recommend? Why? I thought you'd never ask, Samantha. I do have a recommendation. Samantha's, like, eyeing it. I have a book recommendation. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you might know that I sometimes am like, oh, John Waters says this, or John Waters says that. Sometimes. Try, like, every other episode. And then you're like, Liz, you don't know John Waters. (laughs) How do you know that? Well, lucky for you, I have a book recommendation. It's called Shock Value, a tasteful book about bad taste by John Waters. And that's where all that stuff's coming from that I'm always saying. This is just a collection of essays by him. And I couldn't recommend it more. Okay. Just for inspiration and, like, life philosophy. It talks about making his movies and stuff. That's not what I... Honestly, I don't really care about his movies. Whatever. That's not... The the person behind that is what I'm interested in. As yeah, if you want just advice on how life should be lived or how to think about things... This is the book for you. This is the book for you. I love it. Nice. Yeah. That's a great recommendation. And that's why I keep being like, oh, well, John Waters tells us, blah, 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 blah. It's because I read in a shock value. It's nice to have those little nuggets of knowledge, that you, like, in your pocket. You can just pull out yeah. at appropriate times. Be yeah. like, well. I don't recommend every book by him. I've read a few. I definitely don't recommend possibly his most recent one, which is about him, like, hitchhiking across the U.S. now. Okay. Uh, well, that's not safe. John Waters. Well, it's also just like such a cash grab for a book deal. Like nothing I've ever seen. He's not enjoying it. He really just wants to get it over with. Okay. Well, so clearly he was like, hey, I'll write a book about hitchhiking. And someone gave him a big check. And then he was like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I'm an old man now. But if you want to hear about like him and Divine shoplifting whole chainsaws and... (laughs) All other sorts of wild stuff. And, like, his childhood and just him being, like, a really weird kid. and This does appeal to me. Yeah. And good. having, like, totally normal parents who are just like, where did you <laughs> come from? Like, what are we going to do with you? You're so strange. <laughs> it's, it's really amusing. Yeah, there's a few stories like that that are just, like, hilarious. He, like, overhears his parents at some point, like, talking about him, and they're just like, he's just an odd duck. Like, they just they're like, what are we gonna do with John? 
It's some, I don't even remember which movie, but one of them has some reference to like a foot fetish in it. Okay. And afterwards the movie, after the movie, his, his parents like go to the screening, right? It's like total, like normal. These normies go and they see this movie <laughs> and there's this reference to like foot fetishism. And after the movie, his mom is crying and it says, they're going to put you in an asylum. <laughs> And he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, that's not a thing. You just made that up. Like, she thought he was going to be institutionalized. Because he made up foot he, like, fetishes. He, like, invented foot fetishes. Yes. Oh. Just stuff like that. And the introduction for this book is by Simon Dewan, who's also very wise. Someone that you should listen to. The world's only famous window dresser. <laughs> he's Jonathan Adler's husband. He's had a really weird interesting life i've read a few of his books too interesting yeah i'm fascinated by this maybe if i ever stop reading books about diseases i'll <laughs> you can you could well you're welcome to borrow have, this well one. i have two more in the queue so and <laughs> the one i just started is 20 hours long so I'm, i wanted to see what some of these like the the first chapter is called the filthiest people alive the second one is called why i love violence <laughs> And the third one is called The Hillbilly Ripoffs. Oh, also, yeah, John Waters was like a true crime aficionado before anyone was. He's a trailblazer. Ahead that of his time. Everybody thought he was a total gruesome weirdo. He used to and just. Now look at us. Yeah, exactly. He used to just go to trials. Like when he had spare time, he would just go and sit in on trials, and everybody thought it was, you know, disgusting. Right. And now we're all like, ooh. Now there's a new true crime documentary every week. Yeah, yeah. He used to host some true crime show. I can't remember which one. That it was about like matrimony murders or oh, something. Okay. It was all like married couples, I think. Interesting. Called like death till death do us part. Oh, of course. And he would like introduce each segment and like the tech. Oh, he's just a he's just a trailblazer yeah. in terms of taste and how to handle criticism and being yourself and just being a weirdo. Nice. What's your recommendation for us? So I feel like my recommendation is going to be super short, but this is, this is a Twitter account that I really enjoy. So okay, that's tw- important. Twitter is not always a fun place to be. I feel like I need some... It's, it's a strange place. It's a very strange place. It can be hard on your mental health sometimes. Mm-hmm. I understand if you just need to take a break from Twitter. The other thing you, I think you can do is you can infuse your Twitter with some things that bring happiness and joy. One of the ones for me is this Twitter account that I think is very underrated it's called never heard of it it's at nvr heard of it Mm -hmm. and if you're familiar with a slightly more popular twitter account called like bad amazon reviews oh yeah Mm -hmm. that's the same guy who does this and this is just screenshots of people saying they've never heard of very famous things Like what? Okay, so here, I'm going to scroll through. Uh, what? There's a Captain Marvel movie? Never heard of it. <laughs> Let's see. I didn't screen these before. Who the fuck is Steven Spielberg? <laughs> I've heard of Kurt Cameron. Who the fuck are you? Let's see. What's, what's some more? Oh my Jay-Z? God. Never heard of her. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck are Kurt Cobain? Wow. Who the fuck is John Wayne? Also, people know there's Google, right? <laughs> I guess. Like, if you haven't heard of something, it's easier than ever to, to look that up. You don't have to live with that ignorance. 
I, the best Amazon review I've ever seen, and I think about this a lot, is I was looking at some book and someone had rated it one star and said, I haven't had the chance to read it. <laughs> huh. That's just someone who doesn't understand how reviews work. Clearly they got an email from Amazon saying, like, please review this item you ordered, and they felt like they had to do it. So they were just like, I, I, I'm sorry, I haven't had a chance to read it. One star. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I love when people talk to Facebook pages for big brands as if it's like their specific local one. Yeah. <laughs> like people will like message Chili's and be like, is my grandson Kevin there? And they'll be like, ma'am, <laughs> this is not like the Chili's by your house, you know? Oh, so darling. So yeah, this is just, it's not, a, they haven't been around very long, so there's not like a huge catalog of tweets, but I think, I hope they keep it up, this Joe guy, I hope he keeps it up because it's very amusing every time I see a tweet come through my feed. I also like the bad Amazon review. I would also recommend that because some of them are just hilarious. Speaking of, you should give us a great iTunes Apple podcast review. Yeah, as long as it's five stars. We only Say accept, whatever the fuck you want. We only accept five star reviews. Keep that in mind. That is a rule enforced by Steve Jobs himself. <laughs> you are only allowed to give us this podcast five stars. Yes. yes. Uh, is that all we have for today? I think it is. All right, then. So I just mentioned those reviews you'll be writing. Uh, let's see. What else do we need to let you know? We're on the social medias. Twitter, Facebook. We have a Facebook group. We're on Instagram. Perhaps it's you. Yeah, perhaps it's you. You can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. Throw us just even a dollar. Gets you some cool shit. You can listen to all these episodes now. And coming soon, chicken chicken people. people And bar rescue and kitchen nightmares things that are have a lot to do with unsolved mysteries yeah i made samantha watch dexter once it makes sense i mean that sort of has something to do with unsolved mysteries Does it? At least it's murder <laughs> at least people die <laughs> um you should send us an email about your paranormal stories because we are going to be doing more weeks people we're going to be doing our listener stories soon at the end of the season so that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com or there's a form on our website perhaps it's you.com and that might be it and we're so glad that you listened you're the best and we hope you dream of robert stack yeah good night good night (laughs)